you know, no one can take your education away from you and it's only going to make you more qualified and more confident. Hello, welcome to Statement Mondays, where we explore how different women harness their identities at work. I'm your host, Natalie Munster, and if you need a reason to be bold today, here it is. Today is Statement Monday. This will be the last episode of Statement Monday Season 1. And before we meet our guest, I just want to say thank you for such a great season. And you can still follow what I'm up to with Statement Mondays as I'm planning Season 2 by subscribing to my Substack. It's called Statement Mondays Behind the Scenes. And you can find some secrets there to my success these past months and also hear about some of the harder parts of starting a podcast. You can find the Substack at statementmondays.substack.com slash welcome. And of course, continue to keep in touch. DM me on Instagram at statementmondays or email me, natalie at statementmondays.com. Amazing. Well, on to our final guest of the season. Today, we're talking with Kelly Stefanowitz, who is one of Morgan Stanley's rising young female leaders, currently a vice president and business development manager. She actually applied for and turned down several offers in a row from Morgan Stanley to wait for the right one for her career. In this interview, she talks about this experience, plus why being young in financial services is not actually a disadvantage, and using additional education to make up for lack of experience. And before we get in, two quick things to define for you, which will be relevant for some big predictions Kelly makes. C-level, or C-suite, refers to typically the highest positions of a company, like CEO and COO. And S&P 500 refers to a stock market index, or collection, basically, of 500 of the largest public companies in the U.S. All right. As always, stick around after the interview to hear my top takeaways on what Kelly talks about. Let's do it. Hi, Kelly. It is great to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. I'm excited to be here. Amazing. Well, I'd love to start by having you introduce yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Kelly Stefanowitz. I have been in the financial services industry for the past eight years. Time has absolutely flown by. Um, I've held a few different roles at Vanguard, at UBS, but I'm currently the business development manager for the Greater Philadelphia Complex at Morgan Stanley. Thank you. So what is your public identity, Kelly? Sure. So the way I would describe my public identity, and I'm sure for anyone who follows me on LinkedIn, they would be able to <laughs> confirm this for you, but I would describe my public identity. I'm a financial feminist. So mm. I am extremely passionate about being a young woman in the financial services industry. Um, you know, it's generally a very heavily male dominated industry, but mm. I think that there is such a huge opportunity for women in this field there is also going to be a huge intergenerational transfer of wealth into the hands of women in the next 10 years. Oh, wow. You know, as women, we have really emerged in recent years as an economic powerhouse. We are earning, controlling, inheriting more wealth than ever before. You know, we've made incredible strides in the professional workforce. We are now more highly educated than men and we're pursuing more advanced degrees than men. But what's really interesting is while we've made strides in all of these different areas, studies show that many of us lack confidence when managing our financial lives. Mm -hmm. um, so again, I'm very passionate about being a young woman in the financial services industry, and I'm really passionate about attracting diverse female talent to wealth management. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's, that's wild. Come out of the gates, just roaring here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Do you think, like, do you want to be a figurehead for this initiative? Yeah. How do you see your role in it? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would say I would want to be a figurehead. If that happens, so be it. But (laughs) I don't need credit. I think that it's so important for women to support other women, especially Mm -hmm. in more male-dominated fields. I mean, I thought it was interesting at the end of 2020, for the first time in 20 years, all S&P 500 boards had at least one woman. And women were really trending in the right direction, especially in senior management. I thought it was interesting um, you know, women in the C-suite went from 17 to 21% in the five years leading up to the pandemic. So I, I think when I, I think about women in finance and my role is just really, you know, supporting other women, I think that from a societal and media perspective, there is this underlying notion that women are somehow irresponsible or uninterested mm-hmm. around finance. And to me, it's, I think it's really important that we, we change that. I think money has long been a taboo subject for women. So I'm trying to break down those barriers. Um, I'm not sure if that answered your question. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. And so in what ways does your passion for increasing the investing skill level of women and, um, and and even just their knowledge around finance, in what ways does that manifest? Like, how are you actively pushing for this? Yeah, so um, within Morgan Stanley, I've joined a few different groups, uh, Women and Wealth, where, you know, they are very supportive internally about women's progress at the firm, mm. but also educating women outside. So I think, when you think about women and financial literacy, women generally rate their financial knowledge lower than men, but men don't necessarily have the financial prowess over women. That yeah, I was going to say, is that just self-awareness or ego at play here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So, you know, again, I don't think that they necessarily have the financial prowess over women that we or they attribute um, themselves to have. But to your point, men are more likely to be overconfident in their ability to actively manage a portfolio, mm-hmm. which makes them susceptible to something that we call illusion of control, which is a tendency for people to believe that they can control chance outcomes more than they really do. And this mentality often leads to overtrading and higher mm-hmm. transaction costs that ultimately dilute their performance. And again, I, you know, one of the things I'm passionate about is getting out there, talking about, you know, women as an economic powerhouse, talking about the importance of saving, of investing, of educating yourself. So I try to look for opportunities where I can talk to other women uh, about finance. Oh, that's amazing. And then I'm curious how these efforts that you are really passionate about, um, just in terms of, of who you are and the mark you want to leave on the world, but how does that come into play into your actual job at the moment, what you're paid to do? Yeah. So um, in terms of business development, my job is really supporting all of the financial advisors in the greater Philly complex at Morgan Stanley and and growing their their books. So I mentioned earlier that there is going to be a huge intergenerational transfer of wealth. So, you know, baby boomers will be passing their wealth on to younger generations and women stand to inherit the majority of that wealth. So, you know, advisors who are not appealing to female clients are really going to struggle to grow over the next 
10 years. I've sat in meetings with a lot of financial advisors, and I think it's just it's the tendency for most advisors to not necessarily neglect, but to focus on the male mm-hmm. and, a, and a heterosexual couple. Like the majority of their eye contact, the majority of the conversation is with the male client. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is, you know, whether it's through divorce or death, women, I think it's like 70% of women will leave their financial advisor within a year mm-hmm. for that reason. So as a business development manager, one of the things that I'm doing is, is talking to advisors saying, hey, listen, you know, there is a huge opportunity to tap into by working with female clients. Mm-hmm. We already control more than half of personal wealth in the United States, and that's expected to grow to two thirds by 2030. Mm-hmm. So women are going to be controlling this money. And if you're not engaging with them and, and educating them and leveling with them, then again, you're going to have a difficult time growing in the next decade. Wow. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> So I got a chance to talk with your sister, Millie, who also happens to be one of my closest friends. And (laughs) she, one of the things that she told me about you is that you know what you want. You don't take no for an answer and you'll pursue this until you get it. And the example that she gave me was that with Morgan Stanley, they were pursuing you for a while and you just, you said no until they gave you what you wanted. And I would love to hear a little bit about your mentality on that. Um, why, how even? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So it's a great question, Nat. And I, you know, really enjoyed my last role at UBS and I was working with a fantastic team. So, you know, I had been networking with a few people in in the industry at various companies. And I was contacted originally about a role, which was similar to something that I had already completed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they reached out to me. I said, thank you so much for your consideration. I'm just not sure that this is the right next step for me at this point in my career. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were totally understanding. And they said, you know, we don't mind us keeping you in mind for any other potential opportunities that come up. Mm -hmm. I said, I would really appreciate that. So it's interesting. I was actually given three job offers at Morgan Stanley before I accepted my my current role. So the first, (laughs) I I kind of nipped it, you know, I I kind of nipped it in the butt. It wasn't the right next step. Um, The next opportunity I interviewed for, and it was a very involved interview process. I had nine interviews, if you can imagine, for this next role. And I was ultimately given an offer and still decided that it just wasn't the right next step for me for for a number of reasons. Compensation was one, but based on the role and the responsibilities and the trajectory for my career, it just, again, wasn't the right fit. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm thinking two strikes, Morgan Stanley's just (laughs) not going to hire me. Um, But about a month later, the, the complex manager at the Philly office who I, I had met through the interview process for the job that I turned down mm-hmm. reached out to me and said, I have another opportunity and I immediately thought of you and I highly encourage that you apply. Mm. So I absolutely did that. And throughout the interview process, I really made it a point to stay connected with everyone that I interviewed with. I think it's so important to follow up with thank yous. I also mm. connected with everybody on LinkedIn and I have definitely branded myself on LinkedIn. I am pretty regularly posting about women and wealth and and similar topics. So Mm -hmm. I I think that's why I also probably stayed top of mind. Mm -hmm. But I went through the interview process. And again, this was the third offer that I received from the firm. And 
you know, for a number of reasons, I thought it was a really cool opportunity for the majority of my career. I've been client facing and this was my first non-client facing role. So yeah, the whole process took about a year from the, from the first time that they reached out. Um, you know, I think there's something to be said for, for being desired Mm -hmm. and being pursued and, and, you know, knowing what you want. And I wanted to be at Morgan Stanley. I just wanted to make sure that it was the right role. Mm -hmm. So I'm very fortunate um, that I met the people that I did throughout that process and that they thought of me for this opportunity. But yeah, I mean, I think it's important to, to know what you want. And, you know, while the second offer that I received was really tempting, I looked at my career and I looked at my current role and I said, you know, I really want to make sure that I hold out for the right opportunity. And I'm very Mm -hmm. glad that I did. But yeah, no, I am definitely someone who knows what they want and wants to take no for an That's answer. crazy. <laughs> I, I can't just, you really have to know yourself well and be confident in what you want, but also your abilities and your worth to be able to turn down an offer after nine interviews. Um, and that's hard. Like I've, found personally, it's hard to say no to people as it is, let alone when someone is offering me something amazing. Do you have a method of really comparing what you are trying to achieve with the opportunities presented to you? Or is it just instinct? I think it's a combination of both. I think it's definitely instinct. Um, You know, throughout the interview process, I got a feel for the type of people that I would be working with, Mm -hmm. which I think is so important. But I think it's, you know, when I was considering making the move I, I literally made a pro and con list yeah. which sounds silly but I mean there was a lot of pros to staying where I was and there were a lot of pros to moving and, and there were also cons but I, I think it's about owning your career I'm in the driver's seat and I get to make the decisions at the end of the day and I'm the mm-hmm. one that has to live with those decisions so you know thinking about it's not necessarily about hurting people's feelings. And I think as women, it's really difficult to say no sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I I find myself over apologizing, which is something that I'm constantly working on. But, you know, at the end of the day, when you're making these decisions about your career, it's, it's ultimate, it's, it's business and it's not personal. So, you know, I think women, there's always a personal touch, but at the end of the day, I was the one that was going to have to show up at work and do the job. And it's, you know, is this something that I'm interested in? Is this something that I'm going to learn Mm -hmm. from? Um, You know, what does, what does the trajectory for the rest of my career look like from this role? It's not about hurting other people's feelings. It's making sure that you're, you're being strategic and the next move that you make. Yeah. So then now that you are in this role, do you think that you bring your whole self to work? Yeah. So, I mean, I I will say when I first started out, uh, I definitely struggled with bringing my whole self to work. As I mentioned, financial Mm -hmm. services is a very heavily male dominated industry. And of course I was intimidated and wanted to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I consider myself a very energetic and bubbly person. And I was nervous that I wouldn't be taken seriously if I were truly myself. But Mm -hmm. what I learned um, is that, you know, you don't need to necessarily be serious to be taken seriously. Mm. And it is not our job to act like men to earn respect. Um, so (laughs) So I learned over time, you know, my energy and positivity has been something that was consistently complimented and actually sought after. Um, 
The other thing in terms of bringing my whole self to work, I don't have the luxury of saying that I have 35 years of experience in the financial services industry. So Mm -hmm. in lieu of that, I've really made an effort to build my resume and my knowledge through various licenses and designations. Mm. I have my series six, seven, 63, 65. I'm also a certified financial planner or a CFP. I pursued the certified investment management analyst designation through the Investments and Wealth Institute in conjunction with the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. I have my life, accident, health, long-term care insurance licenses. And the only reason that I I list those for you is, again, I I can't say that I have a million years of experience, but pursuing these designations has really helped me to build my technical understanding and therefore confidence. So it makes me feel better about bringing my whole self to work. I would say that, you know, this is the first role. I've been in the industry for eight years, but I would say that this is the first role where I can confidently say I do bring my whole self to work. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. I host a lot of Zoom meetings in my current role, and I recently hosted my monthly complex sales meeting on April Fool's. So (laughs) So I start the meeting off, and I'm not sure if you saw that viral video with the lawyer who couldn't get the cat filter. Yeah. yeah, So I started my meeting off with a cat filter and I was dead serious. You know, I'm saying good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for joining our meeting. (laughs) And I let it go for about 30 seconds and I'm just watching everyone react. They're laughing. I'm waiting for someone to chime in and say, Hey, Cal, you have this filter (laughs) on. No one did. But of course, I took it down and I said, April Fool's, you know, I hope everyone's well. Just wanted to start the the weekend off with a laugh. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's something that I would have never dreamed of doing eight years ago, Mm -hmm. you know, and and what I found is in this virtual environment, I have had to learn how to build relationships in different ways. And after I did that, I had so many Skype messages, so many emails. People appreciated that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's my personality. I'm, uh, you know, it, it was a, a poor attempt at a joke, but people appreciate that. And that is me bringing my whole self to work, as ridiculous as that sounds. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, it's something that I have, I guess, developed over the past eight years. And back to the designations, I, I'm a huge proponent for education, regardless of what field you're in. Mm-hmm. You know, no one can take your education away from you. And it's only going to make you more qualified and more confident. So you breathe a little humanity into the room and really bring (laughs) some energy that, you know, isn't called for, but makes a huge difference, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and especially in, in 2020, 2021, everyone is feeling the Zoom fatigue, you know, and that's just who I am. And I think it's important to, to have fun. And Mm -hmm. yeah. Let's pause here. So we've just heard about, well, to start, how the distribution of wealth will change demographically in the coming years and decades. Uh, Then Kelly had some great stories about how she's become comfortable being her bubbly self at work, branded herself on LinkedIn, and also was extremely intentional about joining Morgan Stanley in the right role for her career. I love Kelly's energy, and I can't get out of my head her comment that you don't need to be serious to be taken seriously. So after the rest of the interview, we'll talk about her story of turning down Morgan Stanley multiple times. But for now, can we just nail in this idea of education as credibility? And we're not talking like, which college did you go to? It's more of how did you work extra to achieve mastery? 
Kelly had a fear her bubbliness came off as not credible. I should also add, I've worried about the same thing in most of my past roles. Anyway, Kelly is nowhere near age 50 or whatever is considered an experienced age that would earn her respect. So she had to find other ways. Her strategy is to complete certificates and bulk up her resume with things that speak for themselves in terms of proving her competence. Really smart thing to do. And while certificates like these might not exist for all industries, I'm sure some degree of this idea of extra education exists for any job. Great. So in a second, we'll hear Kelly talk about how being direct is an art form and how she became the best connected person in the office by starting a Peloton group. First, a word about our sponsors, Athletic Greens. So this seems unrelated, but if you're wondering what I'll be doing during this hiatus between seasons of this podcast, well, I'll be doing lots more interviews. And that, plus getting back in my running routine, exploring New York City and meeting lots of new people once I move there, and hopefully joining a figure drawing studio. And since I'm prioritizing all this activity, I'm sure I'll be missing things in my diet. And this is where Athletic Greens comes in. It's a nutritional supplement, basically a comprehensive all-in-one greens powder developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients. It's specifically engineered to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet and your body's needs, including gut health, immune support, energy, and recovery. They invest in the most absorbable and natural source of each ingredient, and they also make it taste good. So I look forward to my athletic greens mixed with a glass of water each morning. If you want in, it's easy enough. Just visit athleticgreens.com slash statementmondays to get this daily all-in-one superfood powder. And of course, if you want to help support Statement Mondays. Plus, they're offering my audience five travel packs and a year's supply of vitamin D free if you use my link with your purchase. And again, that's athleticgreens.com slash statementmondays. Alrighty. Well, now let's hear from Kelly about how being direct is an art form and how creating a Peloton group at work was the best thing that she did to build relationships. Let's jump back in. I know Millie, again, your sister, doesn't work with you, but she said that you have an executive presence. And I thought that was a very eloquent and powerful compliment to you. Wow. I'm going to have to talk to her about that. I'm, never, <laughs> I'm glad she said that to you. She's never told me that. But that's her. <laughs> but yeah, it sounds like, I mean, you draw people to you with your energy, but she also said that you're not afraid to say what needs to be said. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm definitely someone who is very direct. Um, and I think that there's a way to be strategic in your directness. It doesn't necessarily mean being rude or being dismissive, but I think it's important to stand your ground and demand respect, you know, and I think that also comes with respecting yourself first and foremost. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think directness is an art form. And I think a lot of people struggle with being direct and also Mm -hmm. receiving direct feedback. I am someone who is constantly in pursuit of direct feedback, Mm. um, you know, good, bad, or ugly, because I truly believe that the only way that I'm going to get better is to get that feedback and to surround myself with people who are willing to to give me that feedback and, mm-hmm. and to be real and to say, Hey, listen, you know, I, maybe I wouldn't have done, you know, the cat filter on that meeting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I think it's, it, it's being direct and knowing who you are and what you want and what you stand for and what you're going to tolerate. And, you know, it's a really important skill to develop. And I, I think it again, takes time, but, mm-hmm. but yeah. 
wow, I'm surprised Millie said that. (laughs) (laughs) And tell me about a time you felt invincible at work. So um, a few years ago, I was invited to speak at a national conference in New Orleans about financial planning. And at the time, I was 26. And I was going to be on a panel in front of hundreds of advisors who could run circles around the amount of experience that I had at the time. And, you know, it was definitely something that was very intimidating, but I viewed it as a way to build relationships, showcase my knowledge and and practice public speaking. Um, It ended up being an absolutely incredible experience. I was the youngest person on the panel by Mm. probably 25 years. Oh my gosh. And, you know, luckily the presentation was very well received. I had numerous advisors reaching out to me after the fact saying, hey, I know you're local to Philadelphia, but if you ever want to move to San Francisco, let me know. I'd love to work with you. I'd love to have you on my team, which was, you know, obviously a huge compliment. Um, But, you know, after the fact, the regional sales manager reached out to my local management team in Philadelphia to, you know, just compliment and congratulate me on participating. And even though I was still very much starting out, I definitely felt invincible to be invited to speak, first of all, but then also Mm -hmm. to be received so well by the audience of my peers who, Mm -hmm. quite frankly, were all senior to me. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it, it was an incredible experience. That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) That's also crazy that you're so much younger than all of the panelists. Did you think you had drastically different perspectives? So in financial services in general, you know, now I'm getting up there. I I just turned 30, but I'm generally on the younger side of my colleagues. Uh, You know, I think they say the average age of a financial advisor is, you know, late fifties, early sixties, again, depending on which outlet you look at. But Um, you know, when I was first starting out, I remember thinking, you know, what could I possibly offer people who have 40 years of experience when I, this is my second job ever. And I just graduated from Mm -hmm. Bucknell. And, but, you know, what I found is you can teach all dogs new tricks. And what's also unique about the financial services industry is there has been a huge shift from more transactional based business. So just buying and selling individual equities or, you know, bond ladders to holistic wealth management, comprehensive financial planning. So when I left Vanguard, moved to UBS and was supporting advisors in a financial planning capacity, a lot of the advisors were still in that transactional mindset. So, you know, I had to come in with my persuasion and and show them the benefit of financial planning for their clients. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, I was the youngest person on the panel, but that's not unique. I'm generally one of the youngest people in the office, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just based on the demographic of the industry. And I think, you know, people talk about how it's a disadvantage to be young, but I would argue the opposite. I think if you come with fresh ideas and you're willing to learn and be a sponge and absorb, but also willing to share, Mm -hmm. um, you know, better ways of doing things, it it ends up being an advantage for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could definitely see how that's true. And what's the biggest risk you've taken recently? Yes. So I recently changed jobs in the middle of this pandemic, um, unexpectedly. (laughs) So I was given a job offer for my current role in the middle of April of last year, April of 2020. And at that point, I was told I was going to be starting on June 1st, and we would all be back in the office by then. And obviously, that was not the case. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I started this new job virtually, which was definitely a big risk. And it's 
brought both challenges and opportunities. Mm. You know, one of those challenges is building relationships. I've now been at the firm for almost a year and I haven't met 99% of the people that I work with in person, which has been really interesting. And I'm definitely an in-person kind of person. And I think they say that 80% of communication is body language. So that has been completely eliminated. And (laughs) yeah, and if you think about just being in an office setting, there are so many unforced organic interactions. You walk by someone, you introduce yourself, you say hello, you know, there's just the water cooler talk, Mm -hmm. small talk that's essentially been eliminated. So in this environment, every interaction is forced, whether it's a Zoom meeting or a phone call, there's just not that organic way of building relationships, which has been a challenge, but I've actually, uh, in an effort to network and meet people at Morgan Stanley, I started this Peloton group, which has quite frankly been one of the best things that I've done for my career. I did it selfishly because when I started in June of 2020, I wanted to meet people. I thought, hey, this would be a fun way for us to stay in shape and get on the bike together and compete on the leaderboard. And I originally did it just locally for Philadelphia. Um, But what's been absolutely amazing is word has spread like wildfire and the group is now over 150 people from around. Yeah. So from around the world, which has been amazing. So I've, I've built a relationship with a managing director who is based in London, but works out of Israel. And we have a few people from Budapest who just joined us last week. Mm -hmm. So what started out as a way for me to build relationships locally, uh, I've had the opportunity to meet so many different people from so many different areas of the firm. Within my second week at the firm, I was introduced to the head of private wealth management at Morgan Stanley. And I was thinking, wow, this is you know, absolutely incredible. Wow. And I've had senior managers say, hey, Kelly, I think you're you know, better connected at the firm than I am. Oh my gosh. And it's <laughs> Which, because of this Peloton group, you think? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 1000%. And, you know, what ends up happening is someone joins and they tell their friend and um, it's been great. And we've actually, we've raised a ton of money for charities. We have charity mm-hmm. rides. So it's just been a great way to, you know, create a sense of culture in this virtual environment, especially for me, who I've never met these people. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a huge risk to, you know, change jobs, change firms in this pandemic. But I think it's something that's definitely paid off. And I've tried to be creative in how to, you know, build relationships. And the Peloton group was just one example, but it's it's really been a fantastic way for me to, to network and to meet people and mm-hmm. also to keep me motivated to get yeah. on the bike. <laughs> it's a little mix of fun and work. And that brings out different sides of people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so my last question then, signature statement Monday's question, I ask every guest this. As you know, the name of the podcast is Statement Monday's Interviews with Women Who Wear Heels to Work, with the idea that heels refers to a strength of yours or a trait or even a tool that you bring to work that you wear in your sleeve. So Kelly, what are your heels? Oh my gosh, I should have prepared better for this <laughs> I think it's, you know, I, I, it's funny. I have this phrase that I pretty much approach everything in my life with. And it's a little cheesy, but my dad would say this to me before every field hockey game, before every big presentation I gave when preparing for interviews. But he would always say, Kelly, be tenacious and fiery. And it's now a joke in our family. But mm-hmm. I had a sign made for my office with this phrase. And I get so many comments on it. 
But to me, being tenacious means approaching every situation with extreme determination and persistence. And it means being relentless in the pursuit of your goals. It means never giving up. Um, Being fiery means having passion and energy for what you believe in. I get told I'm very fiery a lot. Mm. But it means, you know, being unapologetically yourself and living your truth. And for me, it's all about authenticity. So Mm -hmm. I've always been a very tenacious and fiery person. Inwardly, maybe outwardly, it's something that I have developed over time. But, you know, it's interesting where your career takes you. Well, thank you, Kelly, so much for interviewing me today. This was so much fun. Yeah, no, thank you for having me, Nat. This was so much fun. And and thank you for creating this podcast. Honestly, I wish this was something that I had to listen to when I first started Mm -hmm. out eight years ago. Um, But no, I really appreciate the opportunity. and, And this was a lot of fun. That was Kelly Stefanowitz. Tenacious and fiery. I love it. I have to say, I find it so inspiring when someone takes a motto of their own and shares it with the people around them. I mean, why not inspire her whole team to also be tenacious and fiery? Well, in this debrief, I want to talk about two things. One is her unique way of building relationships, and the other is owning your career. So let's start with the way she's built relationships, which, by the way, had to get pretty creative starting a new job during the pandemic. Her cat filter story is just one example of a tactic she used, which was tapping into a shared experience and utilizing humor. That's basically creating an inside joke. And you probably know how close you feel with friends who you share inside jokes with. Humor works in the office, too. So another place this relationship building came up was when Kelly created a Peloton group. When I joined my own team, I started a runner's group chat. One thing that came out of it was a few of us participated in our company's 5K run. And I ran my heart out and did so well that I earned an invitation by two pretty high up men in my office to join their Friday runs. Unfortunately, COVID happened, so I never actually got to join any of these runs, but This runner's group was a way I could get to know coworkers in a different light and potentially lead to unexpected opportunities in the future. All right, and for our final takeaway, I want to emphasize Kelly's point on choosing the trajectory of your own career. And that's different than planning your career. Like, I don't have to know what I want to do in five or ten years to be able to be intentional about my next step. For her, while interviewing for Morgan Stanley, she at least knew what she didn't want to do or what she's already done. And even just knowing that gave her some confidence to turn down roles and to not get distracted by the shiny company. And that's all to say that for some people, the best choice might just be to find an in with the company in whatever role you can and then move around on the inside. There's different ways of finding the right next step. But be intentional about it. And the other piece of owning your career is around decision making. So as Kelly said, you're the one who has to live with the decisions you make. And this is great advice for me personally, because as you may remember from past episodes, I am a pleaser and I'm inclined to make a choice based on how I think someone else might react, which is not good when it comes to my career, because I should prioritize my own long term, not someone else's short term. So I know I'm going to work on catching myself and remembering that I'm the one in control. 
All right, fam. So that is all I have for today. And as you know, this is the final episode of Statement Mondays season one. So you need to right now follow this podcast wherever you're listening from. And then go subscribe to my Substack blog, Statement Mondays Behind the Scenes. And you can do that at statementmondays.substack.com slash welcome. You can also find the link in our show description. And remember, be bold. Today is Statement Monday. I'm Natalie Munster. My intern is Mallory Pilon, and my audio engineer is Martin Munster. You can learn more about me and Statement Mondays at statementmondays.com or follow us on Instagram at statementmondays. Amazing. Well, I'll see you on a future Monday. Bye.